I'm Caleb Benjamin, intern at Lawfare. Today on Lawfare No Bull, on September 20th, Attorney General Merrick Garland testified before the House Judiciary Committee in a hearing entitled Oversight of the U.S. Department of Justice. The committee questioned Garland about the Hunter Biden investigations, the role of special counsels, the Department of Justice's actions related to January 6th, and more. Chair now recognize himself for an opening statement. The fix is in. Even with the face-saving indictment last week of Hunter Biden, everyone knows the fix is in. Four and a half years. Four and a half years, the Department of Justice has been investigating Mr. Biden, an investigation run by David Weiss, an investigation that limited the number of witnesses agents could interview, an investigation that prohibited agents from referring to the president as the, quote, big guy in any of the interviews they did get to do, an investigation that curtailed attempts by to interview Mr. Biden by giving the transit team a secret a heads up. An investigation that notified Mr. Biden's defense counsel about a pending search warrant. An investigation run by Mr. Weiss, run by Mr. Weiss, where they told the Congress three different stories in 33 days. They told this committee on June 7th, David Weiss said, I have ultimate authority to determine when, where, and whether to bring charges. 23 days later, June 30th, he told this committee, Actually, I can only bring charges in my U.S. Attorney's District, the District of Delaware. And then to further confuse matters, on July 10th, he told Senator Graham, I have not sought special counsel status. Rather, I've had discussions with the Department of Justice. An investigation run by Mr. Weiss that negotiated a plea deal that the federal district court declined to accept. A plea deal so ridiculous, the judge asked this question, Quote, is there any precedence for agreeing not to prosecute crimes that have nothing to do with the charges being diverted? The response from the DOJ lawyer, I'm not aware of any, Your Honor. A plea deal so ridiculous that the judge also asked, have you ever seen a diversion agreement where the agreement not to prosecute was so broad that it encompasses crimes in a different case? The response from the DOJ lawyer, no, Your Honor, we haven't. An investigation run by Mr. Weiss that not only had a sweetheart deal rejected, but according to the New York Times, there was an even sweeter deal, an earlier deal, a deal in which Mr. Biden would not have to plead guilty to anything. Four and a half years and all that, and now we get a special counsel. Now we get a special counsel, and who does the attorney general pick? David Weiss, the guy who let all that happen. He could have selected anyone. He could have picked anyone inside government, outside government. He could have picked former attorney generals, former special counsels, but he picks the one guy, the one guy he knows will protect Joe Biden. He picks David Weiss. And here's what the AG said in his August 11th announcement of David Weiss as a special counsel. Quote, I am confident that Mr. Weiss will carry out his responsibility in an even-handed and urgent manner. Urgent manner, every witness we've talked to, the two FBI whistleblowers that came forward, Mr. Shapley, Mr. Ziegler, the two uh, uh, FBI agents on the case, Mr. Sobosinski, Ms. Holly, they've all said this thing was anything but urgent. The FBI said this was, they were frustrated at the pace. Ms. Holly said she was frustrated at the pace. And of course, the IRS agents, they said the investigation was slow walked and even-handed, they limited the number of witnesses that could be interviewed, they tipped off the defense counsel about a subpoena, the judge says the plea deal was a joke, 
And all that's just half the story. There's one investigation protecting President Biden. There's another one attacking President Trump. Justice Department's got both sides of the equation covered. Look at the classified documents case. Spring and early summer of last year, the Department of Justice asked President Trump to turn over boxes of documents. He does just that. In the process, President Trump finds 38 additional documents. He tells the Department of Justice, very next day the FBI comes to his home and he turns them over. Then the Department of Justice asked the President to put any boxes he brought from the White House to his home in a storage room and secure it by locking it. He does that as well. Everything they asked him to do, he did. And then what's the Justice Department do? August 8th, last year, they raid President Trump's home. And according to the FBI agent, Stephen D'Antuano, the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office, the search was a complete departure from standard protocol. When we interviewed Mr. D'Antuano, he said, first, the Miami field office didn't do the search. Instead, they sent folks from DC. He said there was no US attorney assigned to the case. Instead, it was run by DC, in particular, Jay Bratt, who's now on the special counsel team. He said the FBI didn't get President Trump's counsel's approval before they did the search. And then Mr. D'Antuano told us he had recommended that when the FBI got to Mr. Trump's home, President Trump's home, they contact his counsel, wait for him to get there and do the search together. Of course, the DOJ said no. And then who does, who does the attorney general name as special counsel in that case? Jack Smith, the guy who a few years ago was looking for ways to prosecute Americans, targeted by Lois Lerner and the IRS, looking to prosecute the very victims of the weaponized government, the weaponized IRS. Jack Smith, the guy who prosecuted Governor McDonald only to have the Supreme Court overturn that prosecution in a unanimous decision. That's the guy, that's the guy that the Attorney General of the United States selects as special counsel. And you wonder why four out of five Americans believe there are now two standards of justice in our great country. Mr. Garland, I anticipate a number of questions on these two investigations. Later in the hearing, I expect from Republicans, you will also get questions about the many other concerns the American people have with the department. The school board's memorandum, treating Catholics, the memo that said pro-life Catholics are extremists. The Fifth Circuit decision, great decision on the Department of Justice and other agencies censoring American speech. And of course, the FISA law that's up for reauthorization this year and how that process has been abused and infringed on the rights, the privacy rights of the American people. Americans believe that today in our country, there is unequal application of the law. They believe that because there is. Republicans are committee committed to making that, making that change. With that, I would yield to the gentleman from New York, the ranking member for an opening statement. Two, far from being favored, Many commentators have noted that people accused of simple gun possession while under the influence of a drug when that gun was not used in the commission of a crime are rarely, if ever, prosecuted the way Hunter Biden is being prosecuted. Mr. Chairman, one of this committee's most important duties is conducting oversight of the Department of Justice. We are called upon to ensure that the DOJ uses the enormous amount of power it is granted in a fair, just manner that respects the civil and human rights of all Americans.
The Attorney General of the United States oversees issues that affect the lives of each and every American. Violent crime, drug trafficking, attacks on our civil rights, threats to our national security, and environmental crimes all fall under his purview. That is why we regularly request that he or she appear before this committee to speak about the work the department is doing for the welfare of the country. This is how we ensure that the department stays accountable to the American people. But if we're up to the Republicans, Americans would hear nothing about any of these substantive issues today. They would hear nothing about the rise in domestic terrorism and what the Justice Department is doing about it. They would hear nothing about what the department is doing to stop hate crimes and prevent gun violence. They would hear nothing about how the department is disrupting efforts by Russia, China, and others to interfere in our elections. Extreme MAGA Republicans have poisoned our vital oversight work. They've ignored our legitimate oversight responsibilities and used their power to stage one political stunt after another. They have wasted countless taxpayer dollars on baseless investigations into President Biden and his family, desperate to find evidence for an absurd impeachment and desperate to distract from the mounting legal peril facing Donald Trump. They have fought tirelessly to stop efforts to fight malign foreign actors trying to influence and manipulate Americans through social media. They have unconstitutionally interfered in criminal litigation and attempted to bully state and local law enforcement officers. They have publicized the names of witnesses who did not further their political goals, leading to threats of death and physical violence against those witnesses and their families. They have cost any number of private institutions and companies millions of dollars in legal fees as they struggle to respond to ridiculous and overbroad requests for information and transcribed interviews. They have issued subpoenas for show without making meaningful attempts to, to get the information they seek by consent. They have levied low, baseless personal attacks on any prosecutor to bring charges against Donald Trump or January 6th rioters. They have attempted to discredit investigators who are not hard enough on Donald Trump's political opponents. They have supported those involved in the deadly attack on our Capitol on January 6th in an attempt to overthrow a lawful election. They have justified conduct that we all know to be wildly illegal, like the theft of classified materials and incitement to violence. And through it all, rather than try to, uni to unite the country or solve the problems that affect us all, they have sought to exploit our divisions for cynical, personal, political gain. That is their goal, division. They want to divide this country and make our government appear like it's broken, because that is when their broken political party thrives. So today, I implore the public to see through the sham. I have no doubt that you will hear a deluge of conspiracy theories and baseless accusations. They will quote freely from so-called whistleblowers who have been broadly discredited or contradicted. They will viciously attack federal law enforcement. They will tell you that all 91 criminal charges against Donald Trump are part of a conspiracy, despite overwhelming evidence of each of Donald Trump's crimes. And they will attack Special Counsel Weiss, who was appointed, let us not forget, by Donald Trump, for not being hard enough on Hunter Biden. Republicans will continue doing what they've done for years, discrediting anyone who does not serve their political goals at any cost. And the shame of it is that in this hearing room, like on the House floor, where we are barreling towards a government shutdown while my Republican colleagues call each other names, we could be working together to put people over politics and to solve any number of problems affecting the American people. 
More than 30,000 Americans have died from gun violence so far this year alone. Guns have become the leading cause of death for children aged 1 to 17, surpassing car accidents. Domestic violent extremism and white nationalism are on the rise. We are seeing active clubs and other white supremacist groups pop up around the country. Anti-Semitism is at an all-time high. Malign foreign actors like Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea are attempting to influence our elections. Political rhetoric is causing threats against law enforcement officials to skyrocket. Our immigration court system is in desperate need of reform. Our election workers receive death threats from conspiracy theory-driven extremists. Fentanyl is filling our streets and poisoning our children at historic rates. This list goes on and on, and we, the people in this room, are in a position to do something about it. In fact, it is our duty to do something about it, consistent with the oath we took when we were sworn in as members of Congress. We could work with the Department of Justice and Attorney General Garland to address any number of real substantive problems facing the American people. Instead, House Republicans will use their time today to talk about long discredited conspiracy theories and Hunter Biden's laptop. They will do it because they care more about Donald Trump than they do about their own constituents. I hope my colleagues will see reason and at least attempt, at least attempt to work with the Attorney General in good faith. Sadly, on the other side of the aisle, reason and good faith seem to be in short supply. In any event, Mr. Attorney General, I thank you for your testimony and thank you in advance for your patience. I yield back. I'm sorry, is this working? Yeah. You got it. Thank you. Good morning, Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Nadler, and distinguished members of this committee. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you on behalf of the more than 115,000 employees the Department of Justice. Since the Justice Department was founded, it has been tasked with confronting some of the most challenging issues before the country. Today, we are handling matters of significant public interest that carry great consequences for our democracy. A lot has been said about the Justice Department, about who we are and what we are doing, about what our job is and what it is not and about why we do this work. I want to provide some clarity. First, who we are. The Justice Department is made up of more than 115,000 men and women who work in every state and communities across the country and around the globe. They are FBI, DEA, ATF agents, and United States Marshals who risk their lives to serve their communities. They are prosecutors and staff who work tirelessly to enforce our laws. The overwhelming majority are career public servants, meaning that they were not appointed by the president of any party. Second, I want to provide clarity about what the job of the Justice Department is and about what it is not. Our job is to help keep our country safe. That includes working closely with local police departments and communities across the country to combat violent crime. In fact, today, we are announcing the results of a recent U.S. Marshals operation conducted with state and local law enforcement. That operation targeted violent fugitives and resulted in 4,400 arrests across 20 cities in just three months. 
Our work also includes combating the drug cartels that are poisoning Americans. Last Friday, we extradited Ovidio Guzman Lopez, a leader of the Sinaloa cartel from Mexico to the United States. He is a son of El Chapo and one of more than a dozen cartel members we have indicted and extradited to the United States. Our job includes seeking justice for the survivors of child exploitation, human smuggling, and sex trafficking. And it includes protecting democratic institutions like this one by holding accountable all those criminally responsible for the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Our job is also to protect civil rights. That includes protecting our freedoms as Americans to worship and think as we please, and to peacefully express our opinions, our beliefs, and our ideas. It includes protecting the right of every eligible citizen to vote and to have that vote counted. It includes combating discrimination, defending reproductive rights under law, and deterring and prosecuting attacks such as hate crimes. And our job is to uphold the rule of law. That means we apply the same laws to everyone. There is not one set of laws for the powerful and another for the powerless, one for the rich and another for the poor, one for Democrats and another for Republicans, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity or religion. Our job is to pursue justice without fear or favor. Our job is not to do what is politically convenient. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. The Justice Department works for the American people. Our job is to follow the facts and the law, and that is what we do. All of us recognize that with this work comes public scrutiny, criticism, and legitimate oversight. These are appropriate and important given the matters and the gravity of the matters that are before the department. But singling out individual career public servants who are just doing their jobs is dangerous particularly at a time of increased threats to the safety of public servants and their families. We will not be intimidated. We will do our jobs free from outside influence, and we will not back down from defending our democracy. Third, I want to explain why we approach our job in this way. The Justice Department was founded in the wake of the Civil War and in the midst of Reconstruction with the first principal task of bringing to justice white supremacists and others who terrorize black Americans to prevent them from exercising their civil rights. The Justice Department's job then and now is to fulfill the promise that it is at the foundation of our democracy, that the law will treat each of us alike. That promise is also why I am here. My family fled religious persecution in Eastern Europe at the start of the 20th century. My grandmother, who was one of five children, born in what is now Belarus, made it to the United States. 
as did two of her siblings. The other two did not. Those two were killed in the Holocaust. And there is little doubt that but for America, the same thing would have happened to my grandmother. But this country took her in and under the protection of our laws, she was able to live without fear of persecution. That protection is what distinguishes this country from so many others. The protection of law, the rule of law, is the foundation of our system of government. Repaying this country for the debt my family owes, for our very lives, has been the focus of my entire professional career. That is why I served in the Justice Department under five different attorneys general under both Democratic and Republican administrations. That is why I spent more than 25 years ensuring the rule of law as a judge. And that is why I left a lifetime appointment as a judge and came back to the Justice Department two and a half years ago. And that is why I'm here today. I look forward to your question. Yeah. Let me, let me just get right to the chase. Has anyone from the White House provided direction at any time to you personally or to any senior officials at the DOJ regarding how the Hunter Biden investigation was to be carried out? No. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? I don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, recollect, you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. I promised the Senate when I came um, before it for confirmation that I would leave Mr. Weiss in place and that I would not interfere with his investigation. Okay, did I you ever... I have kept that promise. All right. Have you had personal contact with anybody at the Baltimore field office on the Hunter Biden matter? No. On July 10, 2023, U.S. Attorney David Weiss told Senator Lindsey Graham, quote, I had discussions with departmental officials regarding potential appointment under 28 U.S.C. Uh, Section 515, which would have allowed me to file charges in a district outside my own without the partnership of the local U.S. attorney, end quote. With whom did Mr. Weiss have those discussions? I'm not going to get into the internal deliberations of the department. Um, oh, but you must, sir. This is important for us. We have okay. oversight responsibility over your department, and we need these answers. As appropriate and necessary for Mr. Weiss to have conversations with the department. I made clear that if he wanted to bring a case in any jurisdiction, he would be able to do that. The way you do that is to get an order signed by the attorney general called a 515 order. I promised he would be able to do that, and he in his letters made clear he understood he would be able to do that. Okay. Can you tell us about any briefings or discussions that you personally have had with Mr. Weiss regarding any and all federal investigations of Hunter Biden? I'm going to say again, I promised the Senate that I would not interfere with Mr. Weiss. So you have not, I'm just, under oath today, your testimony is, you have not had any discussions with Mr. Weiss about this matter? Under oath, my testimony today is that I promised that the, uh, the Senate I would not um, intrude in his investigation. I do not intend to discuss the internal Justice Department deliberations, uh, whether or not I had them. Are you aware that FBI officials have come before this committee and they have stated that there was a cumbersome bureaucratic process 
that Mr. Weiss had to go through to bring charges in another judicial district. You know that? I'm not aware, but that's not true. There's nothing cumbersome about the process. So those All whistleblowers are to lying to us under oath? They're, those whistleblowers are lying? I didn't that say that. Their, their description of the process cumbersome is an opinion. It's not a fact question. By President Trump. Okay, why, let me ask you, why has the Justice Department dragged this investigation out for so long? Does it really take years to determine if Hunter Biden lied on a federal form related to purchasing a firearm? Mr. Weiss was a longtime career prosecutor. President Trump appointed him as United You're not States. answering the question. Is that standard procedure? Should it take that long to make such a simple determination? I'm answering the question. Mm -hmm. Give me an opportunity to do so. Okay. He was charged uh, with that investigation under the previous administration. He's continued. He knows how to conduct investigations, and I have not intruded or attempted to evaluate that because I, that was the promise I made to the Senate. The whistleblowers uh, gave us testimony about serious misconduct at the Justice Department in regards to the preferential treatment afforded Hunter Biden. Has your office requested an investigation into that? Uh, there are well-known processes for how whistleblowers make their claims. I am a strong proponent of whistleblowers and a strong defender. We have an Inspector General's office. We have an Office of Professional Responsibility. That is the way in which complaints from whistleblowers should be and are appropriate. Defunding the FBI would leave the United States naked to the malign influence of the Chinese Communist Party, to the attacks by Iranians on American citizens and attempts to assassinate former officials, to uh, the Russian aggression, uh, to North Korean cyber attacks, to uh, violent crime in the United States, which the FBI helps to to fight against, to all kinds of espionage, to domestic violent extremists who have uh, attacked our churches, um, our synagogues, our mosques, uh, and who have killed individuals uh, out of racial hatred. Uh, I, I, I just I cannot imagine the consequences of defunding the FBI, but they would be catastrophic. Thank you. I want to turn to Mr. Weiss's investigation and the authority he's been granted to conduct that investigation without interference in whatever way he deems necessary. You testified to the Senate Judiciary Committee on March 1st of this year that David Weiss had, quote, full authority over any investigation concerning Hunter Biden. Was that a true statement at the time? Yes, Mr. Weiss has full authority to conduct his investigation however he wishes, and Mr. Weiss has confirmed that in letters to this committee. Thank you. This authority included ensuring that Weiss would be able to bring charges in jurisdiction outside of Delaware if necessary. Is that correct? Mr. I, I assured uh, Mr. Weiss publicly that he would have the authority to bring a case outside of Delaware if he thought that was appropriate. Does that remain true today? Yes, that is true today. Has it ever been the case over the course of this investigation that Mr. Weiss would not have been able to bring charges outside of Delaware if warranted? As a matter of my authority, I promised he would be able to do that. I think as is apparent in the letters uh, exchanged with the committee and in my last previous testimony, uh, in order for a United States attorney or a special counsel or anyone else to bring a case outside of his jurisdiction, he requires me to sign a, it requires me to sign a paper called Section 515, that's the statute, which permits bringing cases outside of the jurisdiction. 
I promised that I would do whatever was required to enable Mr. Weiss to bring a case outside his jurisdiction if that's what he thought was appropriate. And I assume it was your understanding that Mr. Weiss is fully aware that he could bring charges outside of Delaware if necessary when you testified on March 1st. Mr. Weiss has said so in the letters he sent to this committee. Thank you. Did he ever say or do anything, did he ever say or do anything that might make him uh, unsure of where he could bring charges? Mr. Weiss's own letters reflect that he had never asked me to be special counsel and that he understood the process for um, asking for a signature on a Section 515 form. There have been accusations that the handling of the Hunter Biden matter is an example of a two-tiered system of justice. What's your response to that allegation? The Justice Department treats everyone alike, regardless of party, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of wealth. Everyone is treated alike. I understand that uh, people may not understand why particular investigations are conducted in particular ways until all the facts come out. That's what we have a court for. And all of the explanations uh, will come out with respect to Mr. Weiss, for example. Uh, at the end of his period as special counsel, one of the requirements is that he file a, public, a report, which I have uh, promised to make public to the extent uh, that's lawful and consistent with department policy. It will explain his decisions to prosecute and not uh, to prosecute. Thank you. What are the impacts of members of Congress making such accusations against the DOJ? Do baseless accusations from government officials make it more difficult for investigators to do their job and effectively investigate the subject? Okay. Members of the Justice Department uh, are um, um, strong. Uh, and tough and able understand that their job is to do the right thing regardless of any pressures from any order. What is dangerous, and I'm not talking about the committee, but what is dangerous is when anyone singles out a career prosecutor or a career FBI agent, and we know as a matter of fact that that kind of singling out has led to threats. This is a, a, a concern across the board. It is not a concern about anyone in particular. I think you would have been justified. Weiss was appointed by then-President Trump. Your decision was to leave the Trump-appointed attorney completely in charge of this, hands off from you. He makes all the calls without interference from the Attorney General. Is that correct? That is correct. And so the idea that you would interfere uh, is completely wrong. And I, I'd also like to ask, um, you, you talked about um, your independence from uh, the president, but also your independence from the Congress. Have you ever uh, come across historically an instance where the Congress of the United States tried to or successfully interfered with a prosecution initiated by the Department of Justice based on the facts and the law? Uh, I want to be gentle about the word interfere, um, but it is just as a historical example in the case of Iran-Contra, uh, the consequences of actions by the Congress uh, were that the special counsel's investigation of Iran, of, uh, of uh, 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 Mr. North, um, were dismissed. Correct. Uh
quote, Mr. Weiss has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. That was your response, Attorney General, to Senator Grassley's question on March 1st, 2023. You just referenced it when Mr. Bishop was questioning you. Only problem is he'd already been turned down by the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia, Mr. Graves. So he didn't have full authority, did he? I had an extended conversation with uh, Senator Grassley at the time. We briefly touched on the Section 515 question and how that process went. Um, I've my never been suggested. My point's real simple, Mr. Garland. You said he had complete authority, but he'd already been turned down. He, he wanted be. to bring an action in the District of Columbia, and the U.S. Attorney there said, no, you can't. And then you go tell the United States Senate under oath that he has complete authority. I'm going to say again that uh, no one had the authority to turn him down. They could refuse uh, to partner with him. They could you not. Can use and what I'm wondering is why you guys let the statute of limitations lapse for those tax years that dealt with Burisma income. There's one more fact that's important, and that is that this investigation was being conducted by Mr. Weiss, an appointee of President Trump. You will, at the appropriate time, have the opportunity to ask Mr. Weiss that question, and he will no doubt address it in the public report that will be transmitted to the Congress. I don't know the answer to did those questions. Did they forget? Did the lawyers just like let it, did they just like, oh, Darn, we let it, did they, were they careless? I expect that won't be what he says, but because I you promised- You know that's not the case, because as Mr. Bishop pointed out, they had a tolling agreement. They had, they talked to Hunter Biden's defense counsel and say, let's extend the statute of limitations. And then at some point they made an intentional decision to say, we're gonna let the statute of limitations lapse. And I wanna know who decided that and why they did it. Mr. Weiss was a supervisor of the investigation at that time and at all times. He made the necessary, appropriate decisions, and you'll be able to ask him that question, and he will. You know why they did it. Everyone knows why they did it. Pretty fundamental question. Who decided David Weiss was going to stay as U.S. Attorney in Delaware? Mr. Mr. Weiss, Chairman, your time has expired. Mr. Chairman, your time has expired. I'm waiting for an answer, and then I'll, and I'll yield. Well, then you asked the question after your time had expired already. Point of order. Gentleman can respond, then I'll go to Ms. Jackson Lee. Mr. Weiss was the um, special uh, U.S. Attorney from the District of Delaware when I came on. He had been appointed by President Trump. I promised that he would be permitted to stay on for this investigation, and that is what happened. I did not sign up for this. Mr. Attorney General, do you agree that politically charged rhetoric, claiming that law enforcement agents, and I have many questions if you can uh, be brief, are corrupt and contribute to this onslaught of threats against public servants? Okay, as I um, said in my opening statement, uh, we have had an astounding number of threats against public servants over the last several years. I think that when career public servants uh, in the Justice Department and in uh, election uh, um, workers um, um, uh, and uh, airline crews, when they are singled out, um, uh, this can lead to threats of violence and actual violence. Thank we you. have the actual example of an attack on an FBI office uh, by somebody who was incensed by political rhetoric. This does happen. We must not allow that to happen in this country. Does the rhetoric uh, regarding the Biden case have any basis in reality? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part. Does the rhetoric regarding the Biden case have any, any basis in reality? No, it does not. How does this impact FBI and DOJ employees' ability to do their work? I think you mentioned specifically FBI and DOJ employees. As I've already said, the uh, agents of the FBI and the 
prosecutors uh, understand that uh, criticism uh, comes with their job, um, um, and they uh, will continue to do their jobs uh, without fear or favor. Um, but the idea of uh, threatening uh, their safety or that of their families is just abhorrent. Thank you, and um, I assume that provisions have had to be in place to protect these agents and their families. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part. I assume that provisions or protections have had to be in place to protect these agents and their families. Yes, that's correct. Let me move on. Thank you very much, General. Let me move on to the fentanyl crisis, and I want to introduce H.R. 4272. Uh, but let me just uh, put on the record so that you can probably summarize, and I um, ask for the indulgence of my chair. But in any event, um, that the FBI, the DOJ, are focused, needlepoint focused, if you will, on the crisis of fentanyl. I want to just raise that for you, and then I just want to follow up uh, with one or two other questions, if you would be able to comment on these collectively. Um, I am dealing with the crisis of human trafficking and the prioritizing of America's children. They are under siege. And the level of child sexual abuse materials generating into human trafficking, and I want to put H.R. 30 on the record, indicates uh, from ICAC that there are 99,000 IP cases where they're enticing children and maybe only 1% of them being investigated. I'd like your comment on that. And finally, uh, in the approach of high... Um, um, of Yom Kippur to emphasize the work that is hopefully still being doing with anti-Semitism, attacks on immigrants, and African-Americans and Latinos. If you would answer those questions, fentanyl, the human trafficking, and then domestic terrorism. Yeah, these are all horrendous problems uh, propagated by people who are truly evil. Um, we are fighting uh, the fentanyl scourge in every uh, possible way. Uh, starting with the precursors in China, to the uh, labs in Mexico, to the cartels that are bringing the uh, drugs into the United States, to their networks in the United States, uh, to the streets of America. And we will continue to do that uh, with every resource that Congress gives us. Uh, human smuggling um, and sex trafficking are obviously abhorrent. The Justice Department has task forces on both of these subjects and have brought many, many cases on these subjects. Um, the idea of putting um, sexually explicit yep. material about children um, on the web is another area that we are continuing to investigate and to prosecute and to um, ask the social media to take down uh, from their sites. A lot of Chinese money that was working its way through these shell companies into the accounts of the Biden family. So the China initiative was set up during the Trump administration at the Department of Justice to go after the malign influence of, of the Chinese Communist Party. And the Biden Justice Department dissolved the China initiative. So I guess I'm wondering, does the department have any documents uh, that would detail the basis for why you got rid of the China initiative that President Trump had set up? The Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division gave a long speech which explained that. He has testified before Congress several times. We'd be happy to provide you with What's the, the basis? Just tell us all now. What, what, why was the China initiative dissolved? What, uh, uh, the, what the Assistant Attorney General said was that we face attacks from four nation states, North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran, and that we need to focus our attention on the broad range of these. But what can Department of Justice do to help see that law enforcement is more efficient and more effective? Oh, so 
The key to this is our partnership, the FBI, DEA, Marshals, ATFs, partnership at every local level with local and state law enforcement, um, uh, in task forces, um, uh, in discussions to uh, target uh, the most dangerous uh, criminals in those communities, but at the same time to engage the communities um, to help uh, engender community trust in law enforcement. Uh, everyone who's uh, prosecuted violent crime cases, and that includes me, knows uh, that you need the trust of the community in order to get witnesses. Um, and um, we in the Justice Department are helping our state and local um, colleagues uh, do just that. Uh, the funding you described from the COPS office and in the Office of Justice Programs allows us to give money to state and local police organizations that are having trouble with recruitment and retention and promotion of law officers and uh, helps them um, um, make their, uh, their um, departments um, uh, respectful of constitutional rights and at the same time uh, effective uh, in the investigation and prosecution of criminal law violations. Thank you for those activities, those programs through COPS. You've also reinstituted patterns and practices investigations of certain police departments, and Memphis is one of them, and I thank you for doing that. Um, can you share with us how important and those pilot programs are and how they can improve policing? Yes, um, Congress has uh, authorized the Justice Department to, to conduct pattern or practice investigations when they have a reasonable belief in the, uh, that there has been unconstitutional, a pattern of unconstitutional behavior in a police department. Uh, we are careful to select those cases uh, where we think there is such a pattern. Uh, we make those investigations. We then uh, work with the uh, uh, law enforcement agencies in the cities. Uh, our hope is to come to a consent decree that will lead to a better, more efficient, uh, and a more constitutional police department. We have been successful in all of our uh, cases to date in uh, reaching consent agreements. Thank you, sir. You were part of being announced bringing of charges, federal charges, against the five officers who killed Tyree Nichols in Memphis, and I thank you for that. We need that federal um, charge, and we need our department looked at. Um, if there's a shutdown of the federal government, how will that affect the Department of Justice and affect policing in local communities? Um, I haven't done a complete calculation on the, uh, the effects of a shutdown um, and the, the difference between uh, which employees are uh, indispensable under the statute and which one's not, it will certainly disrupt all of our normal programs, including our grant programs to uh, state uh, and local uh, law enforcement and to our ability to conduct our normal efforts uh, with respect to uh, um, the entire scope of our activities, including um, helping state and locals. Uh, all of the actions that your employees took to obstruct the uh, investigation of Hunter Biden and the tax earnings that he uh, made and the taxes he failed to declare their source and ultimately who they were paid to. I'm, I'm going to say again with respect to the Hunter Biden investigation that it has been and still is in the hands of Mr. Weiss, an appointee of President Trump. I don't know about all of these allegations. Some of them appear to have been from the period when um, the Attorney General, appointed by President Trump, was still the Attorney do, do, General. Do, do these, do these uh, charges trouble you at all? 
Mr. Weiss will have an opportunity to explain the decision. Well, you're the guy made. in charge. Does this trouble you? I have intentionally not involved myself in the facts of the case, not because I'm trying to get out of responsibility, but because I'm trying to pursue my responsibility. Your, your uh, FBI director testified before this committee of an uptick in, quote, known or suspected terrorists coming across the southern border. And he told us that the southern border represents a massive security threat. Those were his words, a massive security threat. Do you agree? I'm, I'm, I am perfectly happy to align myself with the director of the FBI. Well, why is it then that we have seen your administration rescind the Trump era orders that had secured that border? We've seen an exponential increase in suspected terrorists. Time of the gentleman has expired. The witness can respond. He chooses. This is a, the answer to this question about um, 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 uh, immigration law is an extremely long answer. I would defer to the Department of Homeland Security, which is responsible for the physical security and about first contact at the border. With well, we've tried to get answers from him. He doesn't give them to us, so we're, we're hoping you would. Uh, I understand, Mr. Uh, Attorney General, you've requested a short break, so we'll, we'll take a short break and resume in five minutes. Okay, sorry. One of the challenges we face is that just a matter of weeks ago, a federal judge found the actions of uh, now special prosecutor to be so outside what he could ag agree to that he pushed back on a plea settlement and nullified it and sent the U.S. attorney going back. In light of that, don't you think it's appropriate for that portion to be considered a pre ongoing investigation, and for Congress to legitimately look at the activities leading up to that failed plea bargain, rather than wait until weeks, months, or years from now, a case is fully settled. Yeah. So um, if, if, if you'll give me a chance, I, I, first, I, I don't agree with the uh, characterization of what happened in the plea. Uh, the district judge performed her obligations under Rule 11. Uh, to determine whether the parties were in agreement as to what each had agreed to and determined that they were not. We fell apart, as you know, uh, and there's been another prosecution. So that leads to the second thing. We are in, uh, Mr. Weiss is in the midst of an ongoing prosecution on the very matter that you're talking about. Okay, but uh, Mr. Attorney General, if we believe, and we do, at least on this side of the dais, that a pattern of behavior is occurring relative to the investigation of Hunter Biden, particularly and including while he lived in the vice president's home, while he operated, commingled uh, with the vice president, and even today as he travels with the president. So in light of that, can you agree that in fact, it should be reasonable for us to look at a number of items, including, and one that I want your answer on, and I know we have limited time, Mr. Weiss supposedly had this ability to bring a prosecution anywhere. He now explicitly has that ability. However, are you concerned and should we have the right to look into the fact that political appointees in California and in the District of Columbia refused to, in fact, cooperate with him in those invest in investigation that he was charged with doing in Delaware, but which flowed over into their jurisdictions? 
isn't that, in fact, an example where those political appointees of the now president, that their decision not to cooperate with him creates at least an, an appearance of political interference with the investigation of the president, son, and possibly activities related to the president? Look, uh, I'm happy to answer this question in hypothetical, but not in the specifics, because I have stayed out of this matter. Um, in the hypothetical, um, um, it is the proce normal process of the department that if a U.S. attorney in one district wants to bring a case in another, they go to that other district and consult. It's perfectly appropriate. They do that in order to determine what the policies are in that district, what the practices have been in that district, what the judges are like in that district. But a, a, a U.S. attorney in another district does not have the authority to deny um, um, another U.S. attorney the th ability uh, to go forward, and I have assured Mr. Weiss that he would have the authority one way or the other, and I think Mr. Weiss's letters completely reflect that. On this committee, uh, on Sunday, the former president appeared uh, on a national news Sunday program and was asked about four indictments uh, and 91 counts facing him. His response was, Biden indictments. Excuse me, Biden political indictments. He said to the Attorney General, he said to the Attorney General, indict him. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, I want to give you a chance to respond. Was the President telling the truth or was he lying when he said that President Biden told you to indict him? No one has told me uh, to indict, and in this case, the decision to indict was made by the special counsel. So that statement the president made on Sunday was false? I'm just going to say again that uh, no one has told me uh, who should be indicted uh, in, uh, in, in, in any matter like this, and uh, the decision about indictment was made by Mr. Smith. Let me ask you this uh, question about the prosecution of Hunter Biden. Um, the prosecutor in that case, Mr. Weiss, was appointed not by Joe Biden, but he was appointed in the first instance by Donald Trump. Is that correct? That's correct. And he was continued in that position, was he not? He was continued in that position, yes. And Mr. Attorney General, can you imagine, can you imagine the hue and cry you would hear from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle if you had removed him from that position? Can you imagine the, the claims that you had removed a prosecutor who was diligently investigating Hunter Biden? Can you imagine the outrage they would have expressed? I can say that in, during my confirmation hearing, we discussed with many senators um, on, on, on that side of the aisle their uh, desire and actual insistence that uh, Mr. Weiss be continued to uh, um, uh, have responsibility for that matter. Um, and I promised, and I said at my confirmation hearing, that he would be permitted to stay and that I would not interfere. And how many agents or assets of the government were present on January 5th and January 6th and agitating in the crowd to go into the Capitol and how many went into the Capitol? Can you answer that now? I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, last time, you don't know how many there were or there were none? I don't know the answer to either of those questions. If there were any, I don't know how many. You've I don't know whether there are any. I think you may have just perjured yourself that you don't know that there were any. You want to say that again, that you don't know that there were any? I have any? no personal knowledge of this matter. I think what I said the you've, last time. You've had two years to find out, 
And the day, by the way, that was in reference to Ray Epps, and yesterday you indicted him. Isn't that a wonderful coincidence? On a misdemeanor. Meanwhile, you're sending grandmas to prison. You're putting people away for 20 years for merely filming. Some people weren't even there, yet you've got the guy on video who's saying go into the Capitol. He's directing people to the Capitol before the speech ends. He's at the site of the first breach. You've got all the goods on him, 10 videos, and it's an, and it's an indictment for a misdemeanor? The American public isn't buying it. I yield the balance of my time to Chairman Jordan. May I answer the question? I'm going to ask you one now. Uh, yeah, let's, we'll let the gentleman. Yeah. Um, that, I, I, go ahead, but. The, uh, in discovery, in the cases um, that were filed with respect to January uh, 6, um, the Justice Department prosecutors provided whatever information they had about uh, the question that you're asking. Uh, with respect to Mr. Epps, the FBI has said that he was not an employee or informant of, of the uh, FBI. Uh, Mr. Um, Epps has been charged, um, and there's a proceeding, I believe, going on today on that subject. The charge is a joke. I also, doesn't it seem that they want it both ways when it comes to the special counsel? A lot of questions suggested that the special counsel should be independent, but when they didn't like the direction of the special counsel, you were asked why you didn't interfere more or involve yourself more or investigate more. Did, did you get that sense that you're kind of stuck here? When, when I make an appointment, somebody be special counsel or prosecutor, uh, um, the appointment is without respect to what the outcomes of the case uh, will be. Your office has made a number of reforms to 702, targeting uh, foreign nationals, uh, but those reforms have not been put into law. 702 is also one of the best weapons we have to go after fentanyl. Can you tell us uh, if you would support putting some of those reforms into law so we don't have to live administration to administration to see if they're going to be followed? I would. Uh, Section 702 uh, provides us uh, with the greatest amount, at least uh, the Justice Department, every morning, uh, uh, the greatest amount of intelligence that we receive about uh, dangerous threats to the United States. From foreign nationals? From foreign nationals. I am... Um, uh, uh, quite aware and sensitive to civil liberties concerns uh, uh, with respect to the queries. Um, and for that reason, I um, uh, put into place and extend, I extended some of those that Mr. Barr had begun at the end of his term, and I put further ones in place. Those have led to a dramatic uh, reduction in the number of queries um, and a dramatic reduction uh, in the number of uh, noncompliant uh, queries. I believe those are appropriate reforms. Um, and I would be in favor of codifying them, yes. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. Mr. Garland, what changed? On July 10th, 2023, David Weiss wrote the, uh, Senator Graham and said, I have not requested special counsel designation. August 11th, you announced that he's now the special counsel. What happened in that 31 days? As I said publicly, several days before my announcement, I think three days, Mr. Weiss had asked to become special counsel. He explained that there were, uh, he had reached the stage of his investigation where he thought that appropriate. What stage I is promised, that? I had promised to give him the resources he needed. What stage is that? He'd reached the um, stage. I'm, After I'm, five I'm, years, what stage are we in? We in the beginning stage, the middle stage, the end stage, the keep hiding the ball stage, what stage are we in? I think uh, this one I would go back to the videotape where I said I'm not permitted to discuss ongoing investigations. Well, that not that convenient? Something changed in 31 to 32 days from 
Attorney General Garland, the Department of Justice charged over 1,100 defendants in connection with the attack on our Capitol, correct? Yes, that's correct. I'm going to state two facts. The people who showed up on January 6th to attack the nation's Capitol were supporters of Donald Trump. They attacked the Capitol to stop Congress from certifying the fact that Donald Trump lost the election. Those two facts were so horrible that some in the right-wing media and some Republican members of Congress could not handle that, so they made up conspiracy theories. In fact, Donald Trump called January 6th a beautiful day. He said the people who showed up had love in their hearts. The Republican member of Congress said January 6th was like a normal tourist visit, and some Republicans have said there were no weapons used on January 6th. Attorney General Garland, were there weapons used in the attack on January 6th? Yeah, yes, uh, in the video you already saw the, uh, some of the weapons that were used, and there, there are obviously many more, many, many hours of video. Another conspiracy theory is that somehow the FBI actually orchestrated this attack. So I'm going to go through some cases that have gone through completion and resulted in sentencing. Joe Biggs was sentenced to 17 years in prison for seditious conspiracy and other counts related to attack on our nation's capital. Have you seen any shred of evidence that Joe Biggs was an FBI agent? No. In fact, Joe Biggs was a member of the Proud Boys. This is what Assistant U.S. Attorney Connor Monroe stated about Joe Biggs and the Proud Boys in court. He stated, quote, they saw themselves as Donald Trump's army fighting to keep their preferred leader in power no matter what the law or the courts had to say about it. And on, January, on September 4th, Joe Biggs stated that he is confident Trump will pardon him. He said, quote, oh, I know he'll pardon us. We're his supporters. We went there like he asked. I'd like to now ask you about the case of Stuart Rhodes, who was sentenced to 18 years in prison for the attack on our nation's capital. Have you seen any shred of evidence that Stuart Rhodes was an FBI agent? No. In fact, he was the founder of the Oath Keepers, a far-right paramilitary organization. Rhodes asked Donald Trump to call them up as militia. And I'd like to ask you about Enrique Torrio, who was sentenced to 22 years in the attack on our nation's capital. Have you seen any evidence that Enrique Torrio was an FBI agent? He was not an FBI agent. In fact, he was the leader of the Proud Boys. Guarding. Uh, Mr. Weiss, can you explain to us in a little more detail who you promised that you would keep Mr. Weiss on this case? Who, to whom was that promise made? Yeah, so a number of, of, um, 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 uh, of senators in my meetings with them asked me to make that promise. I think that was discussed in, uh, uh, in my interchange with a senator from Tennessee, I believe. And did that, did that promise that you made lead you to believe that even if that Mr. Weiss displayed a level of incompetence that you would be precluded from asking him to step down or precluded from replacing him. Uh, uh, look, when, when um, uh, someone asks me to make this appointment, they didn't ask me depending upon what the outcome was. Um, Mr. Weiss has made his uh, appointment, Mr. Uh, decisions, um, and Mr. Weiss is an experienced federal prosecutor. Um, with extensive experience um, uh, and with sufficient credibility to be appointed by uh, President Trump. Um, I just have uh, no grounds for interfering here. Right, so you haven't answered the question. The question was, really, what level of incompetence displayed by a, 
a prosecutor under your control would it take for you to make a change? But let's move on. Uh, the, uh, the level of incompetence I'm referring to, uh, I'll just read this to you. Uh, this is the same Weiss who headed an investigation that was trashed by whistleblowers who alleged that his investigation had been fixed from the outset. It's the same Weiss who ran an investigation in which agents were allegedly prevented from asking about Joe Biden, obstructed in their efforts to pursue questions, compromised by tip-offs to the Biden team on planned searches. It was the same Weiss who reportedly allowed the statute of limitations to run out on Hunter's major tax offenses, even though he had the option to extend it. It was the same Weiss who did not indict on major tax felonies and cut a plea deal that brushed aside a felony gun charge. It was the same Weiss who inked a widely, widely panned sweetheart deal that caused federal judge, a federal judge to balk it and trash a sweeping immunity grant language that even the prosecutor admitted uh, never been seen in a previous plea deal. So th there's a list of what I would suggest under many people's uh, definition would be incompetence. Are you saying that that's inadequate for you to have questioned Look, I, what I'm he was doing? I'm saying that all of these are allegations. I don't know what the facts of them are. I have, as I've explained, stayed out of this investigation. Um, I was not present at any of the meetings discussed. Some of the meetings occurred under the previous administration um, where Mr. Weiss was assigned to the matter by the previous Justice Department, um, and I'm not in a position to comment on them. That's too bad. Is that the, the, There's a scope of investigation memo generally issued when we start these things out. Who issued that scope of investigation memo to Mr. Weiss? Was it done back on, uh, when he was originally appointed to take on the Biden case? Is that when the memo was uh, telling him what he was supposed to do was issued? Is there a scope of investigation memo is my question. There's a scope of investigation with respect to special counsel and that has um, been publicly transmitted to the chairman of uh, this Judiciary Committee and the Senate Judici Judiciary Committee. And who wrote it? Who wrote that scope? Yeah. Um, who decided what, what, what should be within the scope of that investigation? I'm sorry? Who wrote the memo? Who decided? what the scope of that. I decided what should be in the scope. If you'll compare that to the scope of many other special counsels, it basically is modeled uh, on the form uh, format that we've uh, used in the past, uh, not only in this administration, but the previous one. In your uh, remarks delivered on August 11th uh, of this year concerning the appointment of David Weiss as special counsel, you say, upon considering his request, as well as quote, the extraordinary circumstances relating to this matter, end quote. <coughs> Can you tell us what those extraordinary circumstances were? I'm, I'm sorry. I okay, so this is your, these are your remarks back on August yes, 11th. Yes, And uh, it says, on Tuesday of this week, Mr. Weiss advised me that, in his, I'm just quoting from your memo. This is what yes, he said. Yes, yes. Uh, in his judgment, his investigation has reached the stage at which he should continue his work as special counsel, and he asked to be so appointed. Upon considering his request, as well as, quote, the extraordinary circumstances related to this matter, end quote, I've concluded it's in the best public interest to appoint him special counsel. What were those extraordinary circumstances you're talking about? Yeah, um, look, all of these special counsels, including the appointment by um, Mr. Um, 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 uh, Barr with respect to uh, Mr. Durham uses those phrases. The reason he uses those phrases is because that's in the special counsel regulation. Um, I've said as much as I can say with respect to that uh, without discussing matters uh, relating to a pending investigation. I can't discuss matters with respect to a pending investigation for the reasons I've said. Thank you. My question is, do you have plans to extradite additional cartel leaders from other parts of the world to the United States 
to face U.S. justice and a U.S. prison sentence. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into discussions, uh, um, uh, diplomatic discussions over the matter, but I, obviously we have indicted uh, the other Chapitos, uh, Chapito being uh, the, name, uh, the nickname given to the sons of El Chapo. How many of those? How, huh? many, how many are there of those? Uh, I'm trying to remember, I think there are maybe four more, um, uh, maybe five, I'm not sure exactly. But they've all been publicly indicted, and of course we will seek the extradition of it uh, and the apprehension of everyone we've indicted. The apprehension, the indictment of these individuals requires that you have cooperation from foreign countries, especially Mexico, since that's where a lot of these cartels are operating. Would you say right now Mexico is cooperating with us in terms of working with your office to bring these cartel leaders to justice? Well, they've obviously uh, worked with us uh, with respect to Ovidio. Um, his apprehension by the Mexicans led to the deaths of uh, a significant number of Mexican Marines. Uh, Ovidio's people fighting back uh, with 50 caliber machine guns uh, and the uh, Marines having to uh, use Black Hawk attack helicopters in order to arrest him. Um, Are these U.S. Marines or Mexican I'm sorry? Marines? United States Marines? No, or no, I'm sorry, Mexican Marines. It's the Mexican uh, Marines who um, are playing an important role in uh, the apprehension of uh, the cartel leaders. So, Mr. Garland, would you characterize cooperation right now with Mexicans as being good, Look, not I would, good? I would say uh, cooperation can always be better. Um, um, uh, we have an enormous problem with respect to fentanyl uh, coming from Mexico, from its um, um, uh, manufacture there, based on the precursors coming from China, based on the cartel leaders. How can we as members of Congress help you make sure that other countries have stronger cooperating relationship with us. How can we make sure that they cooperate to their fullest abilities with well, you? I, I appreciate that request. I'll have to think about it some more. I will say that I've personally traveled to Mexico twice uh, to try to get cooperation with respect to those, these matters. How important is FISA and 702 to your job when it comes to fighting narco fentanyl? It's, it's very important. Um, fentanyl uh, poses a national security problem for the United States. So can you work with us to assure that we put guardrails under, around, put guardrails, safety measures on 702 to assure that those investigative weapons are not turned against U.S. citizens? Uh, absolutely. It, 702 is a crucial, essential uh, tool, but um, like all tools, it has to be properly controlled, and uh, we would be happy to work with Congress to make sure uh, the civil... I don't want my answer to suggest that there is or isn't such an investigation. I know that the... Um, um, uh, that the um, so, uh, Inspector General sent a letter to Congress explaining uh, that there was that he had an ongoing assessment with respect to the whistleblower's charges. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. Time the gentleman's expired. Uh, the chair now recognizes the gentleman from Colorado. I thank the, thank the chairman uh, and the ranking member for holding this hearing. Thank you, Attorney General, uh, for your testimony, for appearing before us, and for your service to our country. I, I have res great respect for my colleague from uh, Virginia on the other side of the aisle, I'm a bit confused as to why they have zeroed in or focused in on this particular letter in such a myopic way, but your testimony, and I wrote down words here, uh, that the moment he, meaning the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney, Mr. Weiss, asked for the authority, I gave it to him. Seems pretty straightforward. And as you said, the letters that Mr. Weiss has written to this committee 
are publicly available, and you know, we encourage anybody who's watching these hearings to certainly review those. Uh, as you said, uh, clearly they're consistent uh, with each other in terms of reading those letters collectively. I think it's important, Mr. Attorney General, to perhaps talk a bit about your record and your background in light of the various attacks, unfortunately, by my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. My understanding is that you served as a special assistant to the Attorney General of the United States early on in your career. Is that right? Uh, as my first job out of being a law clerk. Yes. Your first job out of law school. You uh, later being were, out of, uh, after law clerk. After law clerk, yeah. of course. You later were in private practice. Yes. And you left private practice to become a line attorney at the Department of Justice. That's right, to a be federal, an assistant U.S. attorney. An assistant U.S. attorney, a federal prosecutor, taking on organized crime cases, drug trafficking cases, violent crimes. Yes, uh, I don't know about the organized crime, organized drug trafficking, yes. Following that service, you served in the Department of Justice as the principal associate. Uh, attorney General. Attorney General. Yeah. Deputy Attorney General, yes. Deputy Attorney yeah. General. This is in the mid-90s. That's right. And in that capacity, you supervised a range of high-profile cases. Is that right? Uh, uh, yes, they were high-profile cases. The Unabomber yes. case? The what? The Unabomber case. The Unabomber case, yes. The Atlanta bo Olympic bombing the Olympic case. bombing, yes. The Oklahoma City bombing case. Olympic, yes, that's you right. You received praise with respect to the, that latter investigation from the then Republican governor of the state of Oklahoma. Is that right? Yes, who, who was a very good partner in the investigation with respect to Oklahoma. You then were nominated and appointed to the federal bench, the U.S. District Court of Appeals here in Washington, D.C., correct? For the U.S. Court of Appeals, yes. Right. You were confirmed by a bipartisan majority. Over 20 Republican senators voted for your confirmation. I'll take your word for it. I think that's correct. You served on the bench for a significant period of time, ultimately becoming the chief judge. Yes, that's right. You left that position to return to the Department of Justice where you had started your career. Yes. And you were confirmed into this position in which you now hold on a bipartisan basis in the Senate. Yes. I think it's unfortunate, Mr. Attorney General, that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have conflated questions about various cases that the department has brought with impugning your integrity. And I can assure you that the vast majority of the American people don't share their opinion. And that my constituents, the folks back in Colorado, are grateful for your lifetime of service that you have given to this country. And I recognize that this is, uh, I suspect, a frustrating exercise in terms of this particular hearing because I suspect that you'd like to be talking about the prevalence of fentanyl in our communities and the work that the Department of Justice is doing to interdict it, the, the gun violence epidemic in our country and the work that the FBI and other law enforcement agencies are doing to stop it. And my hope is that the next oversight hearing, perhaps those can be the focus, the bulk of the hearing. I'd be remiss if I didn't say one note about a rule that the Department of Justice recently promulgated. As you may recall, in 2021, March of 2021, I sent a letter to the Department of Justice uh, requesting that the Department of Justice issue a rule regulating stabilizing braces. One of these braces was used, as you might recall, at a mass shooting in my community in Boulder, Colorado, where 10 Coloradans tragically lost their lives, including one police officer. And the Department of Justice issued a final rule earlier this year on this precise topic. Uh, unfortunately, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have made it their mission to overturn this rule. I wonder if you might be able to just elaborate a bit on how the rule was drafted and deliberated within the department. 
Yes, well, um, that horrific event uh, in Boulder uh, was one of several examples of uh, the use of attachment of a uh, semi-automatic uh, pistol um, to a stabilizing brace um, intended uh, to permit its uh, firing from the shoulder. Uh, that violates the um, uh, rule, uh, the, the congressional statute um, uh, against uh, short-barreled rifles uh, being possessed uh, without registration, any, anything under 16 inches. Um, the reason for Congress's statute, uh, which I think probably goes back to the Al Capone era, was the power um, of, um, of, of such a weapon and the ability to, uh, to uh, aim such a weapon uh, when it's shouldered. Um, all that was done in this rule um, was to make clear that if you convert a, um, a pistol into a rifle um, uh, designed to be fired from the shoulder, you're subject um, to um, the registration requirement. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. I yield back. The Attorney General has requested a short break, so the committee will stand in recess for a few minutes, and then we'll be back uh, for the remainder of our members' questions. The will come to order. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Arizona for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, sir, is it the policy of your office for U.S. attorneys to use prosecutorial quotas? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having a little difficulty here. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get right on top of this thing. Is it the policy of your office for U.S. attorneys to use prosecutorial quotas? To prosecute? Yeah, do you have any prosecutorial quotas system in place? No, no. None, none whatsoever. That's, that'd be anathema to, uh, to uh, your office then, right? I mean, it's not a policy. So would no, you we, be... We don't, uh, correct, yeah. we do not have quotas. Right. And so would it be consistent with that when you have a prosecutor who said that they're gonna pro he wants to prosecute at least 2,000 people who are alleged to have committed a certain type of crime? So look, I think you're referring to the January 6th question. I'm just asking you, would that be consistent with your office's policy if somebody said, we're gonna get, we're gonna get up to 2,000 people on a particular crime? Is that consistent with your policy? I think what that U.S. Attorney was referring to was a prediction for how many more cases would still be brought uh, because the court had asked how many more people have he been filed a letter with the court saying that we're, lo we're, gonna, we're looking at upwards of 2,000, we've got 1,200 more in the that we think we're gonna get. So you don't, you don't do that for any, anything else, right? So don't you don't do have anything like tax fraud. You're not saying, okay, we're gonna have so many people that we wanna get for tax fraud, so many people right. we wanna we get don't, for we don't lying have on federal firearms If a court asks us what the likely workload will be based on prosecutions and investigations that are pending, the uh, uh, U.S. Attorney is obligated to respond. Did you guys provide any, any reference of the number of people you thought uh, you would prosecute who were involved in the 2020 summer uh, riots of the burning of the Portland courthouse while there were still people inside those courthouses. You didn't, you didn't ever file with the court or anything, say, oh, we think we're going to have another 300, 400, whatever it may be, because you didn't file those charges, did you? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not following. I believe that the... I'm sure uh, you're not. The number that you're asking about was... Let me the ask you this question. ...section let's, that let's, the court had asked the U.S. attorney to make. Let's switch, let's switch topics. Yeah. Uh, maybe this one would be... Uh, 
um, easier to follow, I suppose. Is it the policy of the DOJ to provide advance notice to subjects before, condu before conducting a search for evidence? It, it totally depends on the circumstance. If the circumstance were that you had uh, a guest house where the U.S. attorney, uh, deputy U.S. attorney saying, well, we know that there's, we, we suspect there's a lot of evidence there, but uh, we're not going to, we're not going to really follow that up. We're going to, and calls the attorney from the other side saying we were going to do a search warrant. Would, would that be consistent with your policy? Okay. Again, I know this is no hypothetical, um, and I don't know the facts of this case, and I don't know what happened. And I believe the events you're talking about, as reported in the press, occurred under the previous administration. So that, that, no, 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 no. That event didn't happen in the previous administration. Let's let's talk about that. I mean, you keep saying this happened in the previous administration, um, but let's let's talk about this for just a, mo a moment. You keep saying I don't know what happened there, but I'm going to opine when it happened. Do you see the the fallacy of that? The inconsistencies. I don't know when it happened. I don't know what happened because I'm not involved. But it happened under the previous administration. That's so logically fallacious. I'm sorry, I'm not following what's Yeah, I know you're not following. So, yeah. so the question is, you, you've got one of your deputy U.S. attorneys calling the attorney on this side saying, look, we, there's, we're going to go to these two places, uh, probably go in the next couple of days. And, of course, then ultimately the search warrant is called off. Is that, I just want to know, is it consistent to call up people and, where you know that they've got boxes of information or you suspect they have boxes of information, that's why you got the warrant, that's why you're going to go look, and you give them a heads up so they can move those boxes of information. Would that be consistent with DOJ policy? I'm just going to say again, you're asking me actually to comment about allegations in a particular case about I'm, No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm asking you, is that consistent with your overall policy? Forget, forget Delaware and what they did and that they actually did that. Let's just talk about generic I'm policy. So, I'm sorry, I thought you were asking about Mar-a-Lago. I, I may not have understood that. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. la -dee da So when we're talking about this, when we're talking about your general policy, is it your policy? Is that acceptable when you suspect that there are movable items to call up and say we're going we're gonna to be there to look? Yeah, there's no policy on this question. The strategy and tactics to be used to preserve evidence are left up to the uh, investigators uh, and offices on the ground. Sometimes it would be a serious mistake uh, to call up. Uh, sometimes and, it would and not. Here, and here, once again, you don't know what happened in the Hunter Biden case because that's somebody else is doing it. But, but you can be sure of the timing of when all this took place. That is one of the biggest oddities of your testimony today. I yield back to the gentleman from Colorado. Uh, to, to combat the trafficking, to combat the amount of fentanyl on the ground, as DEA has said, there's enough fentanyl on the ground right now to kill this entire population multiple times over. Tell us about your important work in fentanyl. Well, Congressman, let me, Congresswoman, let me begin um, by saying I share your uh, personal um, uh, con concern and grief over this. I have met with uh, the families of, uh, uh, of, of children, of teenagers, of elderly people who have become addicted to fentanyl and who have died from fentanyl. I know, everything you're saying is correct. Um, and it's a catastrophe for the country. Uh, so as a consequence, 
Um, the Justice Department has poured its resources, particularly from DEA, with FBI assistance as well, and with fugitive uh, arrests by the uh, Marshal Service and with gun tracing by the ATF into the entire um, um, process by which fentanyl reaches the United States. So we have sanctioned the precursor companies in China. Um, we have indicted uh, some of them for uh, their violations. We have arrested uh, some as far, off in, uh, as far off as in Fiji and brought them back to the United States. Um, we have traced this, um, uh, these precursors to Mexico where they are made into um, the fentanyl uh, pills. Um, um, fentanyl costs about 10 cents to make. It can be sold on the street in the United States between 10 and $30. You can see uh, what the enormous uh, profit motive um, is here. So we must stop the cartels themselves. I have, as I said, traveled to Mexico twice in order to work with our counterparts in the military and law enforcement there. I, th I thank you for all of that. I want to just pivot once, and, and I want to do anything I can to partner with you uh, on this issue so that we stop losing people. I traveled recently with the Foreign Affairs Committee to The Hague, met with the extraordinary folks, uh, the top prosecutor uh, and his able team. They were very complimentary of the Department of Justice and your work. Can you tell us about your important role or America's important role in war crimes, especially in light of your powerful history? Yes, history. Um, I'm, I'm happy to. So um, I've traveled to Ukraine twice. Uh, and uh, to meet with the prosecutor general there, um, and I'm going to meet with him again this week here, um, and he's met with me several times here. Um, the Justice Department is pursuing uh, the war crimes from Russia's uh, uh, unlawful and unjust invasion of Ukraine uh, to help uh, to investigate war crimes over which we have jurisdiction, to help the prosecutor general in Ukraine investigate those, um, those prosecutions. I um, was, I believe, the first cabinet member ever to uh, visit The Hague, uh, the International Criminal Court of Justice, and to meet with Karim Khan, who is the uh, chief prosecutor, uh, to talk about our cooperation um, uh, in respect to the investigations uh, that they are doing. I've assigned a, uh, um, um, a Justice Department uh, prosecutor um, to the um, um, investigatory body that's been set up in The Hague for the crime of aggression. Um, and she is there now working with um, the ICC uh, and um, with Euro, Europol and Eurojust. And I've assigned a prosecutor uh, to the, our embassy in Kyiv um, to work with our um, uh, ambassador there and to work with the prosecutor general's office there. I think the last few years and has recently included um, as active clubs have been increasing in their number and prominence. These active clubs started popping up in late 2020 and are a network of white nationalist groups that see themselves as fighters in training for an ongoing war against a system they claim is deliberately plotting against the white race. As Attorney General, um, I am deeply interested and concerned about the rise of these clubs, threats of violence, um, and actual violence, and wanted to know if you're familiar with these activities um, and what your department is doing to counteract them. So I'm, I'm not familiar with the specifics of those clubs, and I will certainly look into um, what the department is doing in that respect. 
Uh, very soon after I came into the department, I saw uh, the spike in hate crime threats um, that had, were being made and in actual acts of violence. I directed uh, the department um, to develop a strategy for responding to that. Um, 30 days later, that was pretty much coincident with Congress's passage of the uh, uh, COVID uh, uh, No Hate um, uh, uh, Act. Um, and we have now fulfilled, I think, all of the um, obligations under that act. We have um, task forces set up um, to investigate and prosecute uh, hate crimes, both as hate crimes um, and uh, where they uh, satisfy the requirements as uh, domestic violent extremism or as uh, domestic terrorism. We have brought dozens of cases um, against people who have uh, made these uh, threats, as well as, uh, in particular, those who have attempted to carry them out. Um, and as you know, um, we have a um, prosecution pending in Buffalo with respect to the horrendous um, uh, killing of black Americans in the Topps grocery store um, by an avowed uh, white supremacist. Um, thank you very much, and thank you for your efforts in this regard. On a different subject with my last 45 seconds, um, North Carolina also saw the impact of cyber crimes with the Colonial Pipeline. Yes. And I'd like to know how your office is counteracting um, any cyber attacks and dealing with people who perpetrate them. Yeah, so we are um, uh, vigilant um, to uh, the risk of these kind of cyber attacks in that case. Uh, these were um, uh, criminal gangs affiliated uh, in Russia, uh, resident in Russia. Um, uh, fortunately, we had available um, intelligence from Section 702, which we were discussing a little bit earlier today. I have to say that's one of the principal sources of our ability to fight these kind of cyber attacks, uh, whether they are criminal or whether they are uh, launched by uh, nation states, uh, whether they are um, attempting to um, uh, get... Uh, uh, ransomware and create ransom, whether they're simply trying or also uh, to uh, simply trying to exfiltrate our information uh, or whether they're uh, trying to uh, prevent our computers from working at all. Uh, the D Justice Department has established a, um, uh, a cyber task force for this pur purpose, a ransomware task force, and um, we are um, recently uh, working on um, cryptocurrency in exactly the same. 2321 to take uh, $50 million in funding for the Department of Justice Antitrust uh, uh, Division, and, to, and it would be an 18% cut, and to move that money to the General uh, Department of Justice Operations Fund um, to try to further cripple the efforts that are going on in court. The state attorney generals and the uh, Antitrust Division and, and Federal Trade Commission are doing a great job jointly in trying to combat the scourge of these monopolies. My question to you is, will you make sure that the antitrust division is properly funded so it can continue this very serious effort at stopping these monopolies from harming our children, from harming competition, and from further strengthening China's position in this area? Yes, I absolutely will. And, and one of the first things I did in the first budget opportunity we had was to ask for more money for the antitrust division than it had ever been, had been given in, in quite a long time, um, and to ask for um, the um, fees um, that are um, um, paid for purposes of merger analysis be given to the antitrust division uh, directly rather than to go into a general fund.
Star. Attorney General Garland, are you able to speak to any responses the department has had to Governor Abbott's blatant undermining of federal immigration authority? Um, I can obviously speak on the boys' question. Uh, when um, we brought um, suit um, under the Rivers and Harbors Act uh, for the interference with navigable waters, um, that case is still under adjudication in the district court. I understand that. There are um, other issues, and want to make sure I flag them for you today at this hearing, um, but would also uh, like for your folks to take a close look at the investigation that I've requested. Um, and I will be sending a follow-up letter after what we've learned uh, just this week from the El Paso Times. Thank you. Switching gears, um, I do want to offer you an opportunity for some rebuttal because what we've seen from some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle is their penchant for performance uh, for Twitter and for other news programs. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, we've heard a lot of accusations regarding some U.S. attorney's offices not partnering with Mr. Weiss and hypotheticals about what that means. Can you please explain the difference between partnering with a U.S. attorney's office and acting as a special attorney or special counsel? Um, I can talk about it, obviously, in, in the abstract and the theoretical. Um, uh, it's a normal process of the department if um, prosecutors from one area of the country and, need, and has a case that has um, uh, uh, significance in, an, uh, in another um, to speak with the U.S. attorney in the other district, um, to find out what the policies of the district are, to find out what the practices are, to see how judges in that district react to different kinds of charges. Um, sometimes um, um, decision is made to partner together in those investigations, um, and sometimes a decision is made for um, the U.S. attorney from the other district to have uh, uh, his or her own people bring those cases. I have personally been involved in a... a I don't know anything about this case. In so why would so why would charges that have already expired because of the statute of limitations be part of an ongoing investigation? In a in the to answer in the hypothetical because I don't know the facts. Often charges from previous times are used as part of an ongoing investigation to inform information about intent, about patterns and or practices. Or other investigations. So are there other investigations into Hunter Biden where this information may become relevant? I think it's a matter of public record that there are, is a tax investigation of Mr. Hunter Biden with respect to other years. I Beyond don't the 2014 and 2015? Beyond the ones that are, um, uh, or this, that you are referring to, I think okay, the, Mr. Garland, Mr. Weiss has already said that in, uh, during the plea proceeding. Okay, Mr. Garland, is it standard operating procedure in your Department of Justice for prosecutors to allow the statute of limitations to expire on very serious crimes when the potential debt defendant has already agreed to an extension? So there, as I said before, there's no standard operating procedure okay. here. This Maybe is a, there should be. Well, if this, this is, is an oversight hearing, maybe there should be. Maybe you should adopt standard operating procedures to avoid this kind of a circumstance. Would you agree? No. Okay. Because it's left According to, to one the discretion of the IRS, of You've answered my question. Thank you. Mm -hmm. According to one of the IRS whistleblowers, quote, the purposeful exclusion of the 2014 and 2015 tax years sanitized the most substantive criminal conduct and concealed material facts, end quote. 
How can Americans trusted investigation run by a special counsel who by allowing the statute of limitations to expire irreversibly, quote, sanitized the most substantive criminal conduct and concealed material facts? The prosecutor in question is an experienced veteran career prosecutor who was appointed by and President Trump. we have no reason to trust him, do we? By President Trump. Okay. How much, Mr. Attorney General, you would agree, would you not, that there are continued needs to review, analyze, and make additional improvements and safeguards to ensure that we don't continue seeing these abuses? I do agree. In fact, in recent uh, weeks, we saw even President Biden's Intelligence Advisory Board make recommendations that we continue to revise 702 oversight and restrictions, including a recommendation to direct the DNI and the Attorney General to research potential technological enhancement to the current oversight framework. Tell me what technology might modernize and improve oversight of the 702 process? Uh, one of the technologies that has already worked very effectively is to change this from an opt-out uh, to an opt-in um, set of queries. So you have to, first of all, um, indicate that you are looking at 702 and not just across the board of, of the FBI holdings. You have to have a, a drop-down window which explains why um, you are going to do this. Um, it's easy Does that for us. window require the user to input narrative text? That's right. That's right. All right. Um, thank you, Mr. Attorney General. Are there other technology-specific changes that you would recommend? Well, I'd like to consider that more. There are various kinds of auditing programs uh, using technology. The uh, National Security Division, Justice Department, um, has done some of that. The FBI, um, actually at the um, uh, request of uh, Attorney General Barr, began an auditing program like that. Um, FBI Director... Um, Ray, who also agrees that, there, that these um, um, kind of um, non-compliance shouldn't continue, put that auditing program into effect within the Justice Department. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. I yield the balance of my time to the chairman. Gentlelady for yielding. Uh, Mr. Garland, in uh, David Weiss's letter to Senator Graham on July 10th of this year, he says this, I was assured that I would be granted special counsel authority if it proved necessary. And this assurance came months before the October 7th, 2022 meeting referenced throughout the whistleblowers, excuse me, allegations. <clears throat> How was that assurance given and who gave it? I'm sorry, I'm not, I think he was talking about 515 authority. Is that what you're, I'm reading the letter now. He's not talking about special counsel authority. It's, it says that I was assured. 515 authority, okay. Yeah, yeah. Same difference. Yeah. Well, not, not same difference, but same fundamental yeah, yeah, question. I, I understand your point, yeah. He's making the point that he, he was assured that this was, uh, he could get this status, and that status came, that assurance, excuse me, came before October 7th, 2022. How was that assurance given and who gave it? Yeah, I'm, I made that uh, clear in my direction, and that was transmitted to him. So you told him that no, back I'm, before I'm, October 7th? That I'm, not he would gonna, have... I'm not going to get into exactly uh, the deliberation of the department, but there, I there, gave... there's simple Three simple questions. I, How was it given? Who gave it? When was it done? Yeah, I understand. I gave a direction from the beginning that he would be able to bring a case whenever, wherever he wanted to. Um, and um, um, that direction uh, he heard, obviously, and um, it, he confirms that here. Uh, I, went a, I went a little over time, so I, I told the ranking member I'd extend to him a, a, a few 
few seconds or minutes if he wanted to say a few more things or ask a few more questions, and then we'll... Thank you. Let me just uh, ask uh, the Attorney General. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, uh, you've been asked many questions here uh, which you were not permitted to answer. People asked the question and, and just asked another question, didn't permit you to answer. Is there anything you'd like to say in answer to anything that you think should be made clear or added? Uh, look, I'm, I'm grateful the opportunity, uh, for the opportunity. I just, uh, again, I want to assure the American public and this committee uh, that the Justice Department follows the rule of law. Provide, uh, it it, it uh, enforces the law equally without regard to persons and without regard to parties, um, and that we do the best we can to follow the facts and the law. Thank you. Mr. Attorney General, we appreciate you being here. Um, and the uh, committee, maybe I have to do something official. I guess anyone who wants to add something to it, they can, they can submit that for the record. Uh, with that, the committee is adjourned. Thank you. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare No Bull wherever you found us and you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening.